You're listening to the Northfield Radio Program, where faith, family, and culture all collide with the biblical worldview. There is a war that's raging for the hearts and the minds and the spirits of men and women. And you and I, as Christians, are on the forefront of that battle. The question is, what will you do? To find out more about the Northfield Radio Program and Caleb Gordon, go to www.calebgordon.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Northfield Radio Program. I am your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, I want to say thank you to our friends at Outpost Coffee for providing us with incredible caffeinated beverages. Check these guys out at outpostcoffeeco.com. So on the program today, we are finishing up. It's going to be part three of Games That People Play. It's a message by Pastor Matt Chandler out of Dallas, Texas. I really pray that this message really just drives home the point of we can't play games with God. We can't fool God. There's no fooling God. God is the triune God of the universe, and he knows all. He knows every crevice of our lives, and we need to stop thinking that we can oh, that we can fool God, because we can't. It's time for us to lay our lives before him in repentance and do what's needed. So I pray that this challenges you today. Over the last couple of weeks, we have, um, really over the last couple of years, we've been in Luke, but the last couple of weeks, at the end of Luke, uh, we've been doing a series that I just kind of called Games People Play, Um, and so I'll catch you up real quick so we can read what I believe to be a very um, interesting, weird text uh, in the middle of this section. Um, um, Throughout the ministry of Jesus, there are a group of men and women that follow him. Um, who want to have an appearance of godliness and want to have uh, a religious, moral appearance, but at the end of the day have no intention of submitting to Christ as Lord at all. Um, And so what they do instead of submitting to Christ as Lord is they begin to play um, games, whether those games are uh, games over semantics, over words, games over philosophy, or games over philosophy, what they do is try to uh, sleight of hand or distract the God of the universe uh, so as to not have to do that thing that they don't want to do. And um, what I've contended with you over the last month is that we're, we're really not all that different than these men and women. Um, and so through the teaching of the word, through the proclamation of the word, through the reading of the word, um, the Holy Spirit will impress on our hearts obedience to what God has commanded. Um, and in that moment, there are a lot of those moments where obedience feels very painful uh, and it feels like to be obedient to what God's commanding us to do, we might lose a part of our personhood or we might uh, be, feel naked or or we don't, we, at the end of the day, we just don't want to do it, right? And so in the end, what happens is uh, in that moment, we either submit to how God's revealed himself or we begin to play games with God uh, and hear how those games look. We ran over about four or five of them. I won't cover all of them in detail, but I do want to just um, paint a picture of what we do when we don't want to be obedient to what God's commanded of us, okay? Um, game number one is redefine his authority. And so what, what people will do, what all of us at one point or another will do um, is the Holy Spirit through revelation, through the word, will press our lives in a given direction and we don't want to do it. So what we do is we step over away from biblical, historical, orthodox Jesus, and we create our own Jesus out here. 
And he is a Jesus that doesn't ask us to do things that are painful for us. He's a Jesus that doesn't challenge us towards holiness. He's a Jesus that's just grateful to have us on his team. Right? He is an imaginary Jesus that at the end of the day, apparently does not love you in any way. Because if there is an infinite God that sees all things behind you and all things in front of you and is not in any way attempting to line you up with how things are, then he is a wicked God who is indifferent to you and at the end of the day hates you. So your imaginary Jesus, the one that you created outside of scripture in your mind, okay, the one that you created is far less loving, far less compassionate, and far less merciful than the God of the Bible who asks you to line up with how he designed the universe to be. All right, that's game number one. Here's how it, here's how it comes out of people's mouths. No way God would ask me to do that. If I did that, I wouldn't be happy. That's how it comes out of people's mouths. If I stayed with this person, if I left this person, if I came to this, if I did this, if I gave this away, no way I would be happy. God would never ask me to do anything that wouldn't make me happy. All right? I always just like to throw out, try that philosophy with children. All right? You give children that much leeway, they will burn down a hemisphere. Huh? I'm talking about the good ones. Bad ones, it gets a lot worse than that. All right? And so this idea of God, that's a very popular idea for people who are spiritual. It's a God outside of the Bible, a God that nobody gets to define, a God of the imagination, in the end, turns out to be far less gracious, far less loving, and far less merciful than the actual God of the Bible. All right? It's the God of the imagination. It's by far the most popular game that people play when they don't want to be obedient to how God's revealed himself. Okay? That's game number one. Uh, Game number two is, um, it's a complex game. Uh, Game number two is to, in order to not submit your heart to him, pick a subject that God's passionate about and you become passionate about that subject all the while not submitting to him. Okay, so um, it looks like this. This is the example I gave you. Um, If you've ever been a part of a church where the pastor, elder, deacon, or lay person that was involved in the leadership of the church had a fall of some sort, whether that was uh, some sort of immoral behavior with someone else, uh, an affair, adultery, embezzling money. What's happened in that moment is they had a cause of the gospel that was right and good, but they did not submit their own personal heart to the Lord. And so in the end, they're working for, for the Lord as if he needed help. And then at the end, didn't submit their own hearts to him. Okay. Uh, an example that got me several emails last week. So I'll do it again. Um, <laughs> was um, if you want to know what happened to the religious right and what made them such clowns is that they were pushing a moral agenda all the while sleeping with their secretaries and every once in a while a random guy in an airport bathroom. Yeah. Do you see what's happened there? They might have a cause that's worthy But without a heart that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, without a humble, I'll follow you and be obedient to you as an individual, the cause will eventually be tainted. Right? And and we can go on and on here. This happens all the time. It's let's take a cause that God... Here's honestly what happens. God says, take one step to the left, and we go, oh, that might be embarrassing. How about I run right at 100 miles an hour? It's a very popular game in the Bible Belt. So here's, God will ask for a simple step of obedience. We don't want to do it. So instead of doing that, how about I teach Sunday school, lead a home group, and go on a mission trip? Let me see, ah, to Jamaica. Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a sport in the Bible Belt. I mean, like you train for this. 
You train for this, all right? And this is one of the ways we play games with God. I'm not gonna give that heart to you. So then you get this really weird anyway, yeah. A couple other games um, that, that people play that are, that are very popular uh, is they'll take a pet issue and try to make God look out of touch, all right? So they'll take an issue, whether that be marriage, whether that be the role of men and the role of women as scripture defines it, whether that be homosexuality, whether they take that one issue and they try to make God look dated and old, like he's out of touch. And they're like 2009, we get it. And the God of the Bible, he just doesn't get it. Like we're further along. Okay, let's chat. No, because that's legitimate. You hear it all the time. Let's chat. For at least 2000 years, governments... Kings, leaders of corporations, on and on and on and go, have written documents, written constitutions, and written laws against injustice. Let's be honest. In the world today, do governments still kill their people? Come on, you don't read your Bible, but you watch that television. Do governments still kill their people? Every, do they slaughter them wholesale by the thousands? Absolutely they do. Today, it's happening Day. It's happening right now. Do you know that this week in Nigeria, three Christian pastors had their heads cut off? That happened. It happened this week. Do you know why they drug them out in front of their families and cut their heads off? Because they taught out of this book. How crazy is that? It happened this week. It happened this week. Yeah. Um, do corporations still oppress the poor so that the millionaire billionaires can get even more money than they, does that still happen? Now, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm very much a patriot, all right? And by that, I mean to the kingdom of God. But <laughs> does our own government turn a blind eye to the oppression of the poor and needy around the world so that they might stay powerful and rich? Okay, and I know some of you are like, Chandler... You in a Bible belt, boy. You better be careful. All right, okay. But this is just, listen, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. In, in order for there to be conspiracies, hundreds of people have to keep a secret for a long period of time. There is nothing in my interaction with humanity that leads me to believe that's even possible. All right? So I'm not a huge conspiracy guy, but you don't have to be brilliant to know that we're involved in some shady stuff at the oppression of those who can't defend themselves. So every time you click on that news and they paint some Christian pastor to be some backwoods idiot who's out of touch with how the world really is. And what they say is that we have somehow now arrived at the pinnacle of human understanding so as to make that God look like he's wearing Reebok high, high top pumps and some corduroy, corduroy OP shorts <laughs> or some Z Cavariccis or something. And he's just this outdated, outmoded. If you dress like that, I apologize. Your wife needs to help you. And the, uh, my wife helps me. I don't know. All right. I don't, she lays stuff on the bed. I put it on. Now, um, to make God look like he's, oh, he just doesn't get it. He's out of touch. He's like disco stew off the Simpsons, man. He just is, he's not there. He doesn't understand. He doesn't. That's how he gets painted all the time. As if in 2009, we've somehow arrived at the pinnacle of human understanding and that everyone, despite the fact that 90% of the world wouldn't land anywhere near where our enlightened men and women land, somehow anyone who teaches contrary to them or would say humanity has to sit, fit into this is somehow old school backwood fundamentalist. But I continue to try to tell you, this is a far more arrogant position than one that says 
There's a creator God who created the world a certain way. Life works best when we submit ourselves to how he designed the universe to work. Life works best when you use a hammer to drive a nail in and you don't use a wrench to drive a nail in. Life works best that way. Okay? And so what we do is we take our little pet thing, whatever it is, and we go, ah, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't. So we do. So these are some of the games we play. Okay? Now, I want to wrap up this idea by showing you a very interesting text. Um, And it's interesting because if you just look at it and you don't look at what's surrounding it, it looks like one thing. But then if you back out, it looks like something else. Let me show you what I mean here. Let's look at 21, starting in verse 1. So Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, um, what do you think we're going to teach on for the next 45 minutes? Giving? I mean, should I, should I remind you that the Flower Mound expansion's almost done? Should I put up the thermometer? We'll go get one. I'll get a red marker, put the thermometer on the stage, show you where we are. Should we do an offering right now? Or, or how about, should we do this? Should we teach this? Should we say that the measure of a gift is not what is in given, but what is left over after you give? We could do that. Huh? Did you see that? The rich people gave, but this woman gave more, even though she gave an eighth of a cent because she gave all that she had. So we could do that. Huh? Yeah. Um, we could maybe scrap that because, you know, talking to people about their wallet makes everybody nervous. So we could do this. We could say, oh, it's not about money. It's about giving a hundred percent. You need to give a hundred. You need to give all that you are, all that you have. You need to do, I'll get bleaker back up here to play eye of the tiger. Give all that you have. Rising up, right? We could do that. You can be real motivated, give all you have, work as hard as you can, go eye the tiger, oh, let's do it. All right, we could go that route with it. Um, and in my work the last month, almost every commentary I read took it that direction, one of those directions. Um, I know this will sound arrogant. They're wrong. This text is not about giving at all. This text is not about money. This text is not about any of those things. And in order to see what's happening here, you got to pull back and you got to read it in its context. You have to read what's taken place before it and what takes place after it. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk about what this text says and what it means for those of us who play games with God. Verse 45 of chapter 20. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, by the way, let me just tell you what time it is when he's saying this. It's Wednesday afternoon of Passion Week, which means we're less than 24 hours from being arrested, less than 48 hours from being crucified. There will not be in the Gospel of Luke any more invitations to follow and any more, uh, any more offers of mercy. All right? He's headed to the cross. This is Wednesday afternoon. Now, look at what he says. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers for they will receive a greater commendation. Now we've already read what he looked up and saw. Look down at verse five of 21. 
And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, look at six, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And if you have little headings in your Bible, this says Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. The next one, Jesus foretells wars and persecution. The next one, Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. Needless to say, we're not in a chipper section of the book. So Jesus says... Beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. Beware of this religious system. Beware of those who would devour a widow's house and then make a long prayer. And then that's followed by, do you see this ornate, beautiful temple? I'm going to burn it to the ground. And this city, I'm going to burn it to the ground. And this nation, I'm going to judge. And in the middle, you've got this story of the little old lady giving her two cents. This can't be about giving. What would Jesus? I'm going to burn this place down, but get your tithe in real quick. Make sure you get that tithe in. Right before I blow this thing to pieces, make sure you get that 10% in its mind. No. I'm going to lay siege to this city and burn it to the ground. So let's try to finish the west wing of the temple before that happens. By the way, just so you know that Jesus isn't a liar, in 70 AD, roughly 35, 40 years after this is said, Rome laid siege to Jerusalem and destroys it. The marks on the outer wall and the siege were so powerful that to this day you can see markings on the outer wall for where Rome in 70 AD laid siege to that city. This text about the little old lady, it's not about giving at all. Let's do it this way. In the Gospel of Luke, I mean, we've been in it for a long time, right? Two years. Every time Jesus wants to point out something that people should do, he'll say, go and do likewise, or he'll say the kingdom of God is like this. Do you see any of that there? Was there any commendation at all towards this lady or towards the rich? He doesn't say the rich are doing bad. He doesn't say the old lady's doing good. He doesn't say, the Bible says that as he's saying, beware of the scribes and Pharisees who devour widows' houses, he looks up and he sees wealthy people putting in money. And then all of a sudden he sees this old lady put in her last two bits. In fact, he makes a point to say all that she had to live on. Okay, let's do that. I think I can bring it home like this. Um, a couple of years ago, I was up late. Lauren was with me. We had just put Audrey down, our firstborn. It was the only, it was the only baby we had at the time. And so um, you know, when you have your first baby, you're just like, oh, God, it's always going to be like this. So Lauren and I had a few minutes to actually look at each other. And so we put Audrey down. We're sitting there talking. And then uh, we flipped on the TV and we're just flipping through the channels. And I came across a televangelist. Now, that stuff's not good for my soul. And my wife says, baby, don't. But for me, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like a plane crash. I mean, I just have to watch it. I mean, I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, I mean, I have to, I don't know why. I just can't keep turning it. I know I'd be a better man. I know I would sleep better. I know that anger in me would not arise. I know, go get a little pudding snack, get to bed. I'd feel great, okay? But I kept it there. And here's what he did. I, I just so want to name him. He looked straight into the camera. And this is what he said. He said, and some of you, right, by the way, the set was like he was in Jerusalem or something, but he, he wasn't. He was like he was in, a, he was in a studio. That was apparent, and yet there were 
pillars. <laughs> An ark of some kind. And um, he said, I know some of you right now, some of you little old ladies holding on to that retirement check, not sure how you're going to make ends meet. The Lord has said you sow into what he is doing. He'll provide above and beyond what you, right, a thousand fold. In fact, here's a testimony right here. I didn't know how I was going to make my rent. I trusted the Lord. <laughs> you know what I felt? Rage. That's what I felt. In fact, I thought I heard the Holy Spirit say, drive on out to Dallas, punch that dude in the throat. Because I, I win. I was like, was that you, Lord? I mean, I... So I just... It was you, all right? And he laid siege to the Alchemites. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's go. That was him. No, uh, I, I felt rage. I felt rage, and I felt that man had no fear of God. And I thought there'll be a day, like the scriptures say, that that man wants mountains to fall on top of him, and there will be no mountains to cover him. I felt anger. Because any religion built on the backs of the poor, it's not a religion. I think that's what's happening in this text. That Jesus saying, beware the scribes, beware the Pharisees, beware these game-playing clowns, looks up and sees an old widow give all that she has to a religious system that she thinks is going to save her. And then he overhears people talking about how beautiful the temple is. And he says, I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Okay. So what's the lesson for us? Because I'm guessing that if you look back on last week, you didn't build religious systems that oppress the poor. Maybe you did. But I'm guessing that you didn't. Let me just tell you what this has to do with playing games with God. It's a very unpopular lesson, but it's one you need to hear. And it's one you honestly have to wrestle with. This poor old soul, this old lady. Here's the lesson for you. When you play games with God, there is always collateral damage. You tracking with that? When you play games with God, there will always be those around you hurt and wounded by it. Let me unpack that a little bit. My sin and my refusal to submit to God has a direct effect on not only my wife, but all three of my children. I do not get to sin in isolation. I wish I did. But I don't get to. There is collateral damage when the Lord reveals to me, this is where we're going, and I say, that's not where I'm going. And so as a man, like men, the Bible has said that you will set the spiritual climate of your home. 
And so where you are indifferent to God or he is a tertiary issue to you, a secondary issue to you, he's something you do on Sunday. You build out a climate that believes, breathes, and operates in that specifically for your kids. Specifically for your kids. Where you have said, I'm not following, I'm not following you there. You put an unreal amount of pressure on your wife to fill a gap that you were supposed to fill. And there's consequences to that. Like your insecurities that all of a sudden get rolled out and breathed out on your kids. Like here's just a real interesting fact about our own culture. We're forcing our five to 11 year olds into adulthood and then allowing our 18 to 27 year olds to be babies. So back here, it's Play sports, get involved, learn a language, go, 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 do, 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 go, accomplish it, get it done because you're a reflection of me. So let's go, let's do, let's accomplish. And all the while, like I've said that, I mean, I get such angry mail on this one, but there's this really weird animal that's happening where some of you guys have made sports, your kids, God, not by your mouth, but by your action. Like they don't go to, they don't go to church camp or family camp or disciple now or Wednesday nights, or they don't connect with Christian young people. What they do is they play sports and then they train and they lift and they get on the creatine and they do this, they do that and they do this. And then they go off to college and they don't want anything to do with church or Christ. And you're trying to, you're trying to lie to yourself and say, I didn't raise them that way. You did too. You did. You trained them that a stupid ball was more important than serving, knowing, walking, and loving the God of the universe. You taught them that. That's collateral damage to your sin. I'm not saying don't play game. Let's play, baby. Let's play. Let's win. But at what cost? Come on, man. Percentage. Your kid ain't going to be no professional athlete. He's not. So your glory is that your fourth grader made an all-star team? Do you not think that that makes you pathetic? I mean, you can giggle. Some of you are shelling out a lot of cash for this right now. You don't think that that in the grand scope of eternity makes you a little pathetic. This is you creating climate. This is you creating culture. This is you teaching your family, leading your family. When you don't open up the word in your home, when you don't pray with your children, when you don't go, because I'm not saying don't play it. When you don't say, oh, there's a tournament this weekend. Sure. But we're not doing this every Sunday. Let's do the tournament, but we're not doing this every Sunday. So if practice is every Sunday, game, that's not what we do. That's the Lord's day. We're worshiping as a family that day. All right. I mean, if you're not doing that, if you're not setting that, if you're not driving that, if you're not, hey, we don't do, if you're disconnected, if you if you think it's your wife's job to raise your children, there's collateral damage, bro. Collateral damage, both to your wife and to your children. Ladies, and can I say this just very quickly to single women? I know you're not going to believe me. I know this is climbing Everest naked. <laughs> Impossible. But let me just say it. For my, own, for my own peace of mind. It is better to be single at 40 than to love God and marry a man who has no intention of leading. You will heap upon yourself sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. And I know that you think the loneliness you feel now, I promise you there is a worse loneliness 
Ladies, if God reveals in you that you have intimacy issues, that you have bitterness issues, that you have unforgiveness, that you have self-hate, that you have, that if he reveals that to you, but you just sit in that, that puts an unbelievable burden on your husband. Can I tell you why? Because Christ has commanded him to love you like Christ loves the church. And any smart man would go, uh, didn't they crucify you? Didn't they kill, didn't the church kill you? So the man gets to come to the Lord and go, she's so unresponsive no matter what I do. And Jesus gets to go, you talking about the church? Oh no, your girl? Yeah, my church too. My church is the same way. (laughs) Here's how we're going to respond. We're going to continue to patiently love her, be gracious to her and woo her. That's our play. Really? Because I was thinking about maybe pouting or getting angry. (laughs) Do I get to do either one of those? Well, you can, but it doesn't make anything better. So here would be my recommendation as the God of the universe. (laughs) Love her, woo her, patience, romance, and maybe even rescue. So instead of, listen, marriage is a blast. It should be. I mean, it's work. Come on, man, it's work. But man, it is fun. But when God reveals that those kind of heart things are going on and you decide you're going to sit in them, what you do to your husband is doom marriage to him to be a long struggle of obedience unto heaven, which means he just walks one step at a time and is looking forward to death. (laughs) How does that benefit anyone? Because he can't bail, he can't leave. Not biblically. Biblically, he's covenanted in. He's in. So how does it behoove you to not... So it's collateral damage. And you, and you don't think... <laughs> Nobody's kids, right out of the gate, mirror the positive things about them back to, them, to the parents. They mirror negative immediately. You get to see the positive stuff later. All right? But nobody wakes up at 5 a.m. and the kid cleaned the house and he's sitting there reading his Bible, journaling. I need to surrender more of my life to, to the Lord. I mean, nobody, nobody wakes up to that kid. You wake up to the playroom being on fire. Who caught the playroom on fire? Your two-month-old sister didn't catch the playroom on fire. There's no one over there. It was you. You caught, you caught it on fire. Uh-uh. I mean, kids reflect back to you what you are. <laughs> Isn't that horrible? <laughs> it really is horrible. But I mean, it's just like a really, it's like a gift from the Lord. Here's a mirror for 18 years. <laughs> so what do we do, man? Because some of this can be crushing, right? I mean, especially as you get older and you start to actually see the results of your disobedience in your family and in those around you. We always have to come back to the cross, guys. We got nowhere else to go. We have to come back to the fact that God, in his infinite mercy, poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross so that those who would confess and repent, submit their lives to him, might be saved from the consequences of sin ultimately and even buffered 
from some in the here and now. And so there needs to be a confession. I'm playing games and I don't want to play games anymore. There also needs to be a confession on the ground to others. No matter how hard I've tried as a husband, I have failed my wife on multiple occasions. Do you know what happens in that moment when I realize that? Well, let me be honest. I usually think of a reason why it could be her fault. Are we not being honest here? Is this not a safe place for me to be honest? I almost always go, she can be blamed for this somehow. Oh, no. Holy Spirit. Um, This is going to sound crazy. I have often had to sit down across from my wife and say, I have failed you because I have failed to be obedient to what God has commanded to me. And it doesn't matter whether she says, no, you've done a great job, or, oh, I think you're being too hard on yourself, or that's right. It it doesn't matter. (laughs) To me, it doesn't matter what she says in that moment. I'm confessing to her. And then, you know what? I I, I knew this was going to happen, but I can't tell you how often I have to pull my kids together and just go, I've done you a disservice. I need you to forgive me. Now, here's the thing. Maybe they will forgive me, or maybe my kids will use my shortcomings as an excuse to run away from the Lord. At the end of the day, that will be their sin, not mine. I'll apologize sincerely and ask for forgiveness for those I have harmed because of my disobedience. And pray that the Lord would extend me grace in their lives. This program has been brought to you by DSR, a technology company that has been investing in Bartles of a Families for over 35 years. DSR, we deliver technology.